This is the Grow To Amazing podcast, episode number two. This is Tony Mays, your host, and just welcome to the podcast. Uh, the podcast here, we're just a regular dude. You know, I'm just working every day to grow, to learn from the mistakes I make, to you know, find new ways to grow in the world, and and so that's why I've kind of started this podcast. And uh, very happy to have my first guest on today to uh, kind of catch up on some of my history, some of our shared history, and kind of dig into where he's gone with his life and some of the mistakes he's made and some of the journeys that he's had. And I think you're going to really like this one because it digs down into a new book that he's got out. So I wanted to introduce John. John Luthens is a good friend of mine from high school. You know, unfortunately we kind of lost touch a little bit over the years, but uh, thanks to the goodness of social media, we were able to reconnect and, and kind of get back in touch with each other. So John and I go way back to, I think we didn't really get to know each other till high school. Um, But John, why don't you kind of talk, start do a little intro of yourself if you want to and then uh, we'll kind of start to dig into things from there because that gets us pretty much right into the book then I think so yeah I'm John Luthens um, grew up uh, just a hop skip and jump down highway 8 from Tony um, I guess we probably didn't connect till oh I suppose I was a junior senior in high school uh, we there. Yeah. have some Heated tennis matches under the burning sun, and um, <laughs> I helped you re-roof your house once. I remember that. So yeah, played a little video games together, some cross-country skiing, of course, cross-country running. Maybe yeah. that's how we hooked up. Um, Tony's yep. a runner. I don't know if you still run later in life, but kind of looks like you're in shape. So you must do uh, something. Working on it. Yeah, working yeah. on it. But that's how we really met, and I guess we were uh, we were roommates. What for one year in college together? Also, yep, my, my freshman year, your sophomore year, and yeah, yep. Back in so, the old crazy days. Yeah, so let me let me read a little bit from the Legend in the Highway Eight Woods. So what I'm reading from is John's book. Uh, just to kind of introduce probably your childhood a little bit, maybe then you can comment on it and kind of expand on that. But his book is called Writing Wild. Tales and Trails of a Wisconsin Outdoor Journalist, and you can get that on Amazon, um, and you can get it from, what was your, uh, the publisher as well, direct with signature? Uh, uh, www.cablepublishing.com is the best okay. way. Then you get signed copies if you, if you choose. Uh, sure. <laughs> so, you know, That's where Amazon I got mine from. So. Yep, yep. So if you're looking for, but uh, the, the, it's a collection of short stories of John's uh, travels over the years and different, uh, different experiences he's had. And the, and the first section is about growing up around Barron County, Wisconsin, Northwestern Wisconsin. We both grew up, we grew up about a mile from each other. And one thing I noticed from here was just kind of the difference in our experience, I guess. And uh, you know, just being a mile apart from each other. So Highway 8 was a dividing line, slicing through the land and splitting the tree-shrouded fog in the northern tier of Wisconsin from the rest of the state like a knife culling dark crust from a loaf of bread. Times have moved on, and this cut-and-dried orientation of Wisconsin may not necessarily be the case today. Being perfectly honest, it probably wasn't even the case back then, but when I was growing up, the blacktop meridian of Highway 8 was imaginatively, imaginatively presumed to separate the bulk of the civilized map from the uncharted wilds and this geographical fault line was routinely drawn into my head by local elders and coffee shop quarterbacks who fancied themselves forgotten frontiersmen on the cusp of the great divide 
And I'll skip down a little bit. I'm definitely not going to read all of this book. I'm going to skip probably some sections. Um, I think I hire you to do my audio, do the audio books maybe. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, um, but Highway, it was a blade of division. Indeed, my brother and I, who's your brother Dan, crossed the, through the ranks of maturity along one of the most storied sections, sprouting our wings along a stretch of oak and aspen forest that swung through Barron County. I'm still not certain to this day who owned the woods on either side, but in the Wild West language of our youth, it didn't matter one way or another. Private property was un, an unfathomed bit of grammar that had no place in our Highway 8 vocabulary. So I take it you and Dan roamed a bit uh, around the woods as you were growing up. Yeah, I mean, that's basically where we got our love of nature, I suppose. Um, you know, we grew up on the, uh, the south side of the highway, Till we were, you probably didn't know us back then. No, I didn't. But nope. we moved nope. into the new house. Um, so we got to explore the woods on both sides. Uh, I guess it was a little analogy, north versus south, rich versus <laughs> poor. Uh, I guess I've never really made it rich yet, but. Um, yeah, turkey farm versus wilds of, or wild woods a little bit more. So it's it, it barren, you know, barren, the turkey yeah. farm, uh, it played a big thing. But we, you know, we've made forts, um, Plenty of games, running around, chasing each other in the woods, uh, camping out, um, making little fires, trying not to burn anything down. Mm-hmm. But when we when we moved into our new house on, on the north side, that's I believe that's when we really started going a little bit wild in there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I've got a little bit of that highlight I want to go through too because. Uh, Older and debatably wiser when we made our move into our new house on the north side of Highway 8, we found ourselves in our true element before our feet hit the opposite side of the asphalt. Maybe we lusted for bigger adventure or deeper philosophical meaning in the chaos, or maybe we'd ravaged our fort on the south side for so much boat material that it had become structurally unlivable. (laughs) It's even a distinct possibility that the turkey farmer had phoned our folks to say, fun is fun, and it's nice to see him playing in the woods, but tell your uh, damn kids to quit chasing my flock uh, into feathery splinters. So whatever the circumstances, it was the wilds of the north that we defined ourselves as true connoisseurs of the outdoor game, and it was on the north side that we really began carving our legends into the Highway 8 woods. So you had everything, you know, 100 yards back was thorn apple, poison sumac heaven. The overgrowth spilled into a clearing that grew thick with blackberry bushes and hit an ancient windmill, which creaked in the wind and mixed with rustling of aspens. It had the aura of a forgotten age. No barns or cobbled farmhouse foundations and no real sign that some hardy settler had once homesteaded, just clawed fingers of thorns and ominous blades that never quit creaking. So, you know, you did you gradually just kind of start to discover your way around there and and too much time on your hands (laughs) explored here and there and you know later on in life you know as i grew into being a writer um you didn't know it back then of course no didn't know it back then what you really had Mm -hmm. growing up as a youngster this was our world and you thought it could never stop Mm-hmm. It, it, it could never stop. Um, it definitely, it definitely gave me a background as an outdoorsman and as a writer, growing up somewhere that like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we lived close enough that I don't know if you had the same experiences, but probably not. You know. Well, it was, I, mine was different. I'll probably talk, I'm sure I'll dig into some of my history on other podcast episodes too, but it, we didn't, 
you know, the railroad tracks for us felt more like a line that I wasn't supposed to cross for some reason. So, you know, I was probably, a, you know, uh, I don't know. I just didn't think I, I just didn't think it was somewhere to explore over those, over those railroad tracks. So, you know, we didn't, you know, I was, I don't know. It, it, that's why I was one of the big experience differences between us was. Yeah. We know, used it as a, we could take those tracks all the way into Barron. Um, yep. Yep. There's blackberries, raspberries, <laughs> and, um, cliffs, little islands yeah. that we built up. Um, I, the railroad tracks were a dividing line, you know, north and south also, as much as Highway 8 was. Yep, yep. And you said in here, there's sandstone cliffs reclimbing, rising along the Underground Railroad you had christened, kind of that railroad line uh, going through there. Rumored to be honeycombed with caverns that had long ago been sealed shut for the safety of wandering children. Screw that. We left our childish behavior hanging out to dry on the south side of Highway 8. We spent days digging to unearth the entrances. Damned if hidden caves weren't ripe for holding treasure. We would have gladly blasted the sandstone cliffs to pieces if we'd known how to lay our grubby hands on some Barron County black market explosives. Fingers rubbed raw, countless sets of clothes torn to shreds, working like rabid badgers for untold seasons, but no caves were ever found. But then you also found an island, you know. Our island lay due north of Highway 8 and in the starboard center of a cow pasture creek. <laughs> and I don't even remember what the name of that, was it Quarters Creek? I, I don't even know what the name of the creek was, but it was... Yeah, I don't, I'm not even sure the, either, so... Green the green grossest Marshy. looking water you ever well boy we were in there though i mean <laughs> made a little bridge um and again this all background for later in life uh, well and this was kind of the day and age too yeah this is kind of that day and age too where your parents kind of kicked you out of the house at eight o'clock in the morning and said you know come back when it's dark out or dinner t when i yell for you for dinner time right i mean I guess you could say what a simpler time maybe, but maybe yeah. not, you know, we just grew up in a different time. Um, yep. Yep. Now multimedia, we've got our video game complex, <laughs> complex <laughs> over there, TVs. So everything is different, but back then, yeah. what, what did we have? You know, we, we didn't know any different. Mm -hmm. There we were all, all day, every day, building, do, running. Do you think your parents really encouraged that kind of exploration or did you guys just do it? I would say my mom and dad definitely had a big role in, in fostering our out of doors experience. Um, you know, we were never pressured to, well, you've got it. Well, we had to work around the house, but we'd always complain about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's a nice story in here about you guys shoveling, shoveling snow in the driveway as well. So, and complaining about who has, who was the loser that had to shovel. So <laughs> I get, yes, I, I was pretty lucky to have the parents I did because they they mm. knew, maybe they knew something that I didn't know or my brother didn't know, um, yep. but they knew yep. that this was, you only go through childhood once and mm. uh, this wasn't a bad way to go through childhood. Yep. Um, so what what was your, I mean, you guys were big with going up north to Brule and things like that as well, right? I mean, was that where kind of your dad grew up or was that just his place to go to? Um, my my mom was actually, she grew up there. Oh, um, she did. Okay. Around Northwestern, um, mm -hmm. you know, right outside the town of Brule. Um, my grandparents had a cabin up there 
from as early as I can remember. And we'd always, we'd spend summers there. My dad was a teacher, so we had our mm. summers free. And it would be summers growing up there in Brule. Nice. Um, back and forth from Barron to Brule, from Barron to Brule. Um, again, another, a great way to grow up. Yeah. A great way to grow up um, and a fine background, you know? Yep, yep. So talk about, you, you mentioned a lot in the book about being really into writing when you were growing up. Um, you know, talk about that a little bit if you can. It was mostly a, a series of journals or little stories that you'd try to make, um, obviously full mm. of mispunctuation, <laughs> bad grammar, but you have to start somewhere, right? Yep. Uh, yep. And even at an early age, I could tell, you know, I couldn't do a lot of things as well. You know, math, not my strong suit, um, <laughs> for sure. You know, yeah. number, not my strong suit, uh, but writing for whatever reason, and I think it was my father, I think he encouraged me to read at an early age. Wasn't he a math teacher though at the yes, same time? he was a math teacher, so <laughs> I, I don't know why I didn't, math and physics, and I don't know why I didn't, didn't do that, but um, he, he always had books. I mean, shelves of books that were just, mm -hmm. as you're growing up, incredibly looking titles, anything from the Lord of the Rings to... John Steinbeck to Gordon McQuarrie, who was a famous outdoor writer. Um, and he never, he kind of pushed me that way. And, and mm -hmm. the books were always available, you know, and he, you could see, he'd look out of the corner of his eye as I pick one of them up. And that I think got me into writing more than anything, reading. And sure. it's, it's a habit I've carried with me all my life. And I, I think it was actually probably some of our, cause you used to be our Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master for oh, our yes. epic weekend sessions. And, yes. and I think it was that kind of stuff that got, cause my dad wasn't my parent. I mean, they were readers, but not like they didn't have, uh, we had the readers, I just condensed books, but we didn't, you know, it wasn't something where we had books full of fantasy stuff to explore. And, you know, my dad was a truck driver, so he had a different focus, you know, yes. On, yes. on that kind of thing. So I think it was some of that exploration that we did in high school of D&D &D and some of those books that, that kind of got me into it. But so. You start opening worlds in your yeah. mind, you know, um, and that, you know, you can look, well, Dungeons and Dragons, I guess people look, well, that, what a, what a, what a geeky way to do anything. But I'll tell you what, um, for opening your mind to yeah. think on your feet, <laughs> possibilities, um, yep. Yep. not again, not a bad way to keep track of your kids on a, on a night when here we were in, in the basement or the bedroom playing Dungeons and Dragons all night. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, my mom, I think, really appreciated that because now you, you know, as your kids are growing older, you know <laughs> they are, you know. Yep, um, yep, yeah. There was definitely trouble we could have gotten into, I'm sure. So, but well, well that, that'd be another podcast. We, we will <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I did actually tell my mom it was my 18th birthday when we went uh, cross country skiing at like one o'clock in the morning. Did you remember was, that? And w wasn't it cold? I think yeah, it was, it was very, like 30 below zero or something like that. And I think we almost died, but yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go cross country skiing. What, what a better way to celebrate your 18th birthday. Yeah. And I snuck into the house to get my skis with my parents sleeping and sorry, mom, but you know, I mean, it was one of those things you kind of had to do, I guess, but so. <laughs> we didn't die. We lived, I guess. Yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. 
might have lost, almost lost a few digits, but no worries. So I mean, that's a good way to grow up. If you yeah. think about it, the worst the worst case scenario you have growing up is almost dying cross country skiing in the middle of the night. <laughs> it's not too bad. So were books? I mean, um, you mentioned you know some of the math and science was tough for you. Were books kind of an escape for you in high school too, along with running and? Yes, uh, even when I was say a freshman in high school, uh, you know. It was a little bit different back then. We had an open campus. Then kids would shoot basketball in the gym. Um, yeah. But I spent a lot of time, especially early on. Well, later in life, I later in, in my high school career, I guess I ingrained myself into the society more. But I'd spend mm -hmm. time in the library. I mean, I'd go through whatever yeah. books they had there, and that's where I'd spend my lunch break. You know, reading, 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 mm -hmm. and it always came easy to me. Um, mm -hmm. Like I say, math comes easy to some people. History comes easy to some people, but I can plow through a book fast. Yeah. Yep. I still can, you know. Not exactly speed reading, but I could, I could go pretty quick. Yeah, I poured over probably every Baron High School library, every book that they had. Uh, Ray Bradbury was always my favorite. Um, mm -hmm. Just whatever I could lay my hands on, you know. And 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 that really helped me later in life with my writing for yep. sure. Um, so, so when you went to, after high school, you went to lacrosse, we were roommates my freshman year, your sophomore year. Um, why did you pick lacrosse? I, I think I went to a cross country camp actually, uh, the summer before my senior year and, uh, talked to the coach a little bit and mm -hmm. scenery, it was incredible. As you know, you know, yep. the scenery was just it had me at hello. <laughs> went up the Mississippi River, the bluffs. Um, I'm like, this is this is where I need to go. Yeah. Yeah. And then never mind the fact that it's that UW Lacrosse has a multi-national champion running program and things like that too. So yeah, it's, I went, uh, I did run cross country in college and track. I definitely wasn't the mm -hmm. superstar by any means, but I still have friends to this day um, from mm -hmm. the team. Um, it was, sure. Obviously, uh, it was a social thing. Yeah. Um, as much as you, you were in the band in lacrosse too, you know. It, mm -hmm. it, yes, you're 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 a very good instrument player, but you you were never going to probably go on with that later in life. But it was a social thing, you know. Yep. Uh, yep. It, again, it kept you out of trouble a little bit. Somewhat. Uh, when yeah. You've got a cross country <laughs> Saturday morning. You probably aren't going to go partying Friday night too much, you know. Yeah. Um, but but I really love to this day I love lacrosse. I have friends that still live there. Um, mm. uh, I know it up and down all the trout streams, all the little back roads. Um, sure, it's it's always going to have a fondness in my you know. My mm. college career obviously didn't turn out very well, meaning I never did graduate from there. I, I spent four years there though, and mm. uh, it was. What do you think your struggles were in college? Just too easy to. I know you tell me, I guess, but I wouldn't say so much that I struggled. It was just, I would you call it attention deficit disorder? There was too much. <laughs> it was too much. Uh, we grew up in you know small town, rural Wisconsin, and here you know by not being a metropolis, lacrosse was a lot bigger than I was used to. Um, yeah, it, 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 there was so much. There was mm. so much. Um, my college experience was invaluable yeah. you know invaluable um now you're living on your own um there's nobody getting you up to go to school 
you've got to do it yourself. Yep. Uh, you have to do it yourself. Learning to get along with people, uh, people that you may not exactly like, but you still got to get along with them. Uh, that's what college was to me. Mm -hmm. Seeing the big, seeing a little bit bigger picture that uh, Barron, Wisconsin wasn't, the borders of Barron, Wisconsin was not the world. Um, yep. Yep. You're in lacrosse and now you see what the world can be. Yep. And lacrosse can definitely, you can access, you know, you can find a party every day of the week if you want to. And yes, and three yes. times on Saturday. So and, you know, thank goodness that I was <laughs> track or I probably would have found those parties four days a week. You know. <laughs> yeah. I had my share of those Thursday, Friday, Saturday night type things, but so what was kind of the tipping point for you, you know, and I'm going to read from the road, road of dreams here in a little bit, but you kind of got to the point where you were done with school. Was that, by choice or just, or, or was it, you know, just struggling? I don't know that it was by choice, but yeah, well, obviously it was by choice. Yeah. I guess I'd become disillusioned with um, academia. I, I, it's a rigid structure, you know, mm -hmm. um, maybe I, you call me, maybe I was a little bit too immature and didn't really understand. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, what you, what you wanted to be. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the, the, the structure got a little bit too much for me, I think. Um, mm -hmm. One of my philosophy instructors called me a free spirit. Yeah. He's, you know, this is, this would have been once somebody knew that I was gone and, traveling on the road. <laughs> oh, he was always a free spirit. Um, I don't know if that's a compliment or I took it to a fault, but mm -hmm. I wanted to see how big the world was. Now I went from Barron to lacrosse and let's see how big the world is after this. Yep. Yep. So let me, I want to do a little bit from the a dream less traveled, one of the short stories in there, just to talk through that, but, or just to kind of help set that stage. But, um, I think we talked about some of it already, but one might think that the, that the wonders plopped on my lap would have set me up on the trail for surefire greatness as a writer and outdoor journalist. I discovered a key that unlocked a magical door into the grandeur of Wisconsin's finest country. I had a supportive family and firm connections in the outdoor community. I had developed a solid foundation of observation and journalistic writing through my wanderings and note-taking, and I was well-read from turning the pages of countless books in the libraries of my youth. And this is, I think you're writing this a little bit later, I'm assuming, after, after all of this and kind of looking back. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, okay. So um, add a stint of college education to the mix, and by God, I was going to be the next Ernest Hemingway. Publishers and paper sellers were going to fight over the chance to get first crack at my poetry. I thought, I thought, I thought. I swear I only took a couple steps into the future before I was lost on the road of dreams. I diligently enrolled myself at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse to harness my visions of journalistic immortality, only to find out in short order that the written trail upward through the, toward the heights of academia was ripe with gorgeous diversions. I spent four years on a scholarship of blissful ignorance along the Mississippi Valley of southwestern Wisconsin, cutting classes and exploring the surrounding miles of towering bluffs, hardwood valleys, and bubbling coolie streams. I was a backwoods kid let loose in a candy store and I ate until my guts were ready to explode. Sleeping on a mattress in the basement of a juggernaut party flat that made John Belushi's crib and Animal House look like a Sunday school classroom, 
staying up till the crack of dawn, discussing philosophy and writing mumbled proverbs. If I wasn't hitchhiking my way across the trout draws and the bluff swept hills, I was learning to write the names of a dozen different beer brands in a dozen different languages. When I finally shambled from the university classrooms with my hobo sack slung over my shoulder, it was overflowing with beautiful scenery, countless friends, and some heart-pounding lessons of love. About the only thing I didn't have room for in my pack was a college degree. Why on earth the university overseers didn't send me packing in a timelier fashion is a mystery that will never be properly explained. So, compounding the spinning compass in my head, I'd managed to develop a dire case of wanderlust. wanderlust. The lion's share of the blame resting squarely on the shoulders of American novelist Jack Kerouac and John Steinbeck. So you were ready to go travel a little bit and kind of see what was up. Yep, and it was exactly those books that sent me out of way. <laughs> I don't know if you ever read On the Road by Kerouac or No, I haven't. I'm gonna have to. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a it was a I think I wrote it was a breakthrough novel and it it was it was written yeah, what would that have been in the early set in the early 50s early 60s okay. um but they just he, he took it to another level um yeah. his characters were crazy uh, so i read that and read that again john steinbeck obviously was a well-traveled journalist writer he had his travels with charlie you mentioned here in the book yeah. as well so a lot of those books that i kept on reading through college you know Mm -hmm. I don't want to say I was self-taught, but it, whatever I could lay my hand on, whatever perked my interest, uh, that's what I read. And I started reading some of that stuff and I'm like, wow, if they can do it, so can I. Um, sure, sure. There we went. There we went. So you, so your brother Dan was obviously kind of in the same boat at the, at the same time, roughly? He was doing a lot better. I think I even wrote in the college game than I was. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, 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 I think he got a double degree, um, art, art, architecture and accounting. Um, okay. He was, he was doing real well at UW-Milwaukee, but I, I suckered him into saying, Let, <laughs> let, let's take a semester off and see the country. Um, sure. A couple of Wisconsin kids. Let's see what's out there. I don't think yeah. it was that hard to convince him probably to do it either. So no, I, <laughs> I always had a little bit of sway over him, you know, um, <laughs> and maybe I shouldn't have done it, but I knew that with a little bit of talking and a little bit of, a little bit of sweet talking and there we went. And I'm sure your mom, Louise, just kind of shook her head at all of this. And <laughs> she wasn't happy, put it that yeah. way, she wasn't happy, but um, <laughs> Especially with him, because he, you know he was the he was the youngest. He he was the yep. baby, and uh, here, big bad me was going to take them <laughs> on a little bit of trip, and that's where my education for my writing really began. Um, yep, it's been thirty years. Sheaves of journal paper fall from a sealed envelope and spread heavy on the desk of reality. My heart races with the rhythm of the passing clock eager to unroll the concrete cracks of road-worn pages and thumb through the words of mountain trails and sand dune beaches, where the asphalt ends. That's where the soul of my penciled ramblings really begins. Rifling through my journals with the shaking hands of age. Oh, come on. You were... <laughs> I mean, you got to figure this introduction was only written a couple years ago. And... I know, but yeah, you're not that old. We're, you're 51, right? 
And what do you mean? I got a hat. I got to cover my bald head. No. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yes. I got a few gray hairs too, so I can't talk, you know, talk about that. But I see sunburned brows, packs on our back and miles to go. I see us kneeling in the glow of a full moon on an ocean cape to watch dolphins leap in the spray. Paging back further, balancing across wet leaf gorges on the backs of fallen giants high in the misted forests of the Appalachian Mountains, sliding down the rocky trails to camp in the driving rain with clothing soaked and temperatures plummeting, searching through gear for lost car keys in the light of a smudge fire, shivering and arguing about who lost them and who was going to die first of hypothermia, <laughs> finally finding the keys in a forgotten pack pocket and breathing a grateful sigh that we would survive to greet another mountain morning. Uh, that's one thing I remember about Dan is that he did like to argue and talk, you know, till the cows come home. So, <laughs> yeah, we had, you know, you're living in close contact on the road for that long. And, uh, yeah, you're going to have some arguments. Yep. Yep. Have some arguments. Yep. Um, and I think, and I talked about this in the last podcast, but that's what my, me and my family are going to be doing starting next year is, is doing that exact same thing but i'm taking my wife and three kids on the road so it's going to yes. be you know we'll have a little bit more space but not much i mean so you know <laughs> any words of wisdom it is a it is a great adventure you know that that's what it is and yep. this is where i really i mean i, I kept meticulous journals so mm -hmm. all the whole road to dream section uh, while i may have change some of the words around came right out of the journals that I kept. Um, awesome. I, I keep these journals and my wife, my current wife now, she, we weren't married yet. Um, I'd send them out uh, every week. We'd hit a post office and I'd send these journals to her for safekeeping. So I do, I nice. wouldn't lose them. Um, Were you guys dating in college then? Did no, I, I didn't meet her till a little bit after I was, I was working in Milwaukee at the time okay. after, after college. Um, okay. That's where I met her. Hmm. But um, so I just met her before we left. Well, that's a good way to start a relationship. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I really like you, but guess what? We're hitting, we're hitting the road. You yeah. may see this again, you may not, but I, I, I sent her back all the journals um, mm -hmm. and a lot of the sketches, my brother really as an artist, that's where he, yeah, there are some beautiful sketches here. I'll see if I can figure out how to paste a few of them into the podcast video and things like that, just to kind of show things like the map of of Baron or some of your, you know, uh, uh, especially for Road of Dreams. He's got some great pictures in there. And I haven't made it all the way through the book yet because there's a lot of stories in here about Baron, about your travels, about, you know, experiences up in Brule. It's, you yes. know, it's it's pretty, it's an awesome book, but. Yeah, but the road of dreams—that's that was—that's what really set me up. I mean, I learned—I yeah. learned a lot. Uh, now I learned that there's different paths to education, mm -hmm. where maybe my mainstream didn't lay this way, but it, it, it laid this way. Um, yep. yep. Learning for learning's sake. Uh, so you were—you seem like you're much more of a hands-on type learner, you know, pursue your pursue your dream kind of thing. Is that yeah, I needed to see, I needed to, to understand yeah. that, well, life on the road, obviously I wasn't going to live there forever, but mm -hmm. I learned people, people are the same, but different wherever you go in the country, you know, you've got good people, you've got bad people, but by and large, human nature, I came to believe is good. Um, yeah. I really believe it. it's good. Um, mm -hmm. 
that, so you had got you got out of college for a little bit. You started working at a printing plant. Yes. And met Denise, your wife. How many years have you been married now? Uh, what? I, this is bad. I, I'm glad <laughs> you met down here. I, 20 I was, plus. 20 plus. Yes. Yeah. Well, 20 plus. <laughs> <laughs> which is it's kind of funny that you talk about that you just left her you know that you left to go on your journey because a month after I met my wife it, I got I had just gotten laid off from my job in 2009 and got a contract to go work in England for a month so about a month yeah less than a month after we met you know we we're doing a long distance relationship at least we had skype back then but yeah, yeah you know this was 2009 so <laughs> we had a few tools of the trade but to keep in touch but you know <laughs> but i i've always wanted i always wanted to we had the foresight to know that for kids before marriage before life comes along that we're we have this one chance mm -hmm. and and that we had the foresight somehow between us to know that we're going to take this, you know, we're going to take, yeah. going to take this chance. We're going to go for what well, we were gone for two months, I guess, on the road, camping, just seeing yeah, everything. Yeah. And, and we took the shot. Now it'll stick with me and stick with my brother all our mm -hmm. life. Yep. yep. You go through hard times. You'll think, well, you know, we've got jobs and, <laughs> you, can still, you know, you can still think back on that. Oh, do you remember when yeah. we did this? Um, yep. Yep. So your first camp for the night was pitched smack on the border of it of Illinois and Indiana in the groves of Kickapoo Park, a forested island in the middle of a farm flat flat farm field horizon. Whoever planted this rising canopy of leaves must not have received the memo that clear cutting trees is the law of the land around here. It was a bit eerie spending the first night in an unknown environment. We both slept restless. Possums and raccoons rustled outside our tent at all hours of the night. Distant sounds were foreign. They echoed across the open and into our tree grove camp, sounding close enough to touch even though they were miles removed. We finally drifted off when a light rain started to fall. It sounded fine and peaceful on the rain fly and it sent varmints creeping back into the fields. Morning dawn, wet leafed and foggy and it was comforting to see that our gear had held up dry. A couple of drips here and there, but plenty of days coming to work out our camping bugs. I crawled out early to explore a few catfish channels on the outskirts of the forest. At least that's what the signs along their muddy bank said they were. Considering, considered rummaging through the car trunk for the fishing gear, but wasn't certain of the season and state game laws. I went to college to be a writer, so I'm pretty sure that Indiana and Illinois both begin with I, but to tell the truth, I failed miserably at geography. So math and physics and geography got hurt. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't even certain which of the two Midwestern states we we're actually in. So you're still trying to figure out there if, you know, you were doing the right thing to an extent. <laughs> when we actually left, we didn't even know which way we wanted to head. We actually really did flip a coin. Do we want to go east or west? And that's how we ended up going east. Um, I think I wrote that in there, but that's, that was honest to goodness. That's the truth. Um, yep. yep. We, did, we went down into Chicago and like, are we going east? Are we going west? Uh, flip the coin and we headed east. With a 1972 Chevy Nova yes, in tow. Yeah. yeah. I guess one line that stood out to me a little bit later that when you were back in past Indianapolis was the stars came out crisp and I know they're the same constellations we see in Wisconsin, but seeing them in a strange camp far from home away makes them seem more mysterious. It was almost as if they were looking down and telling me something, drifting in a random orbit day and night. 
no set plan except to shoot endlessly away from their origin. And, and that, I guess that's what my brother and I were both doing, you know, shooting yeah. from our origin, um, getting out there, trying to push yourself a little bit beyond your comfort zone, you know? Yep. I mean, granted, we weren't all that, you know, what, 300, 400 miles away from home, but now you're in a different environment and everything mm -hmm. seems, you're still in America, but everything seems strange, you know? Yeah. You said strange. this was what, 1992. So no cell phones, no, you know, no internet barely at that time, at that point in time. So you had an nope. ATM card maybe? <laughs> I think we had some travelers checks or some money stuffed <laughs> in our socks and underwear. I don't know. Um, basically, whatever we'd saved through working that would have gone to college, we're we're going to spend it on the road. And granted, we were just camping, so yeah. expenses were little or nothing. You know, gas, mm -hmm. a bit of cheese and sausage to eat, some peanut butter, six spaghettios. I saw in there and yep. spaghettios, um, <laughs> and we camped the whole way. You know, mm -hmm. camped everywhere. Yep, I saw that, and and Appalachian Trail. You eventually ended up out there. Tent pitched, and no firewood gathering chores to be allocated, because uh, <laughs> you ran into a park ranger wreck with his tobacco pouch. Had somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty cords of fire ready timber. They had scrounged for themselves from the endless forest, and had forbidden you from uh, collecting your own firewood. <laughs> again, this is. <laughs> This is a nonfiction work, so it's while it may read like fiction, it's the honest <laughs> truth. This guy was there, and, and he did have tons of wood, but I'm gonna keep an eye on you. <laughs> we're not going to take as much of a stick, and he kept an eye on us the whole time we were there too. Wow. As far as even going up in the trails, he'd be eyeing us. What are you doing? Are you, yep. You're walking. What are you doing? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Tent pitched and no firewood gathering chores to be allocated. A towering trail beckoned me into the last of the mountain light, rising through the state through stately oaks before dropping into the ruins of a small meadow with a crumbling rock wall around the edges and an ancient well dug into the center. I mean, I could just keep on inlaid stones swirled on the sides of the well to a shimmering pool on the bottom. Shredded light cut through the fog above the wooded mountains and lit the fallen rocks of the meadow fence into a picture that would have been worthy of a fairy tale book. A spirit from long ago had picked the perfect spot to carve a niche in the hills. And now, countless years later, a simple kid from Wisconsin was laying on a carpet of drifting leaves with mountain, mountains leaning over and watching the, the last rays ripple his reflection in a wishing well. It's a great picture. Yeah, but it's right out of, right out of a fantasy. Yeah, no kidding. Right out yeah. of somewhere where now you are... You are far removed. Now you're there, you know, almost like Tolkien, uh, whatever. Be, but it was mm -hmm. there that we, I found that well, and it was just un, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. But you are. And you were bound and determined that night not to, not to give in to the ranger and, and buy some firewood from him. So <laughs> it was a cold camp that night. But. Yep. And <laughs> I think, I think I wrote, Dan did, he, he, he went off to do something and, Head over first into the gully he went because it was dark and <laughs> it was raining and yep, uh, yep. <laughs> but you could look back at it and laugh, but <laughs> it was it was a little bit hard sometimes. Yeah. So then you moved on through at the Appalachians. It sounds like you spent a lot of time in the Appalachian Trail, kind of going up and down. Yep, we were up in the Appalachians a good week and a half. We um I don't even remember. Time started 
to get fuzzy up there. It, mm-hmm. it was it, at this time what it was late September, early October maybe, and um, it was unbelievable. The scenery, the leaves all mm-hmm. changing. Um, nobody is around for miles. Except for the Green Bank National Radio Radio Astronomical Observatory. Yes. (laughs) I had to throw a little bit of education in there. That place was just incredible. It was just incredible. You could walk right underneath these radio dishes and huge, you know. They were huge. Nice. Get a a good way to satisfy your kind of science fiction uh, questions of the day. So. Yeah, I, I don't, I, you know, you, they didn't charge you anything. You just walked right in there. Wow. You know, n- no microwaves or garage openers in the whole, in the little town, which had to be a hundred and change um, <laughs> because it would, it was, it was. You could just, probably set a microwave next to the dishes and, and get them cooked just sitting there or a hot dog next to the, next to the dish and get it cooked just sitting there. Yeah, but it was one of those fall days where you are, you are in, Science mm-hmm. fiction land right there. Yep. Pretty yep. neat. Yeah, so you kept on going through the Appalachians. Uh, we'd run the country as far east as possible without turning the Chevy into a boat, splashing up against the Atlantic Ocean across the Delaware River and into a network of channels, bridges, ferry boats, and sand spits. I just can't believe how you found some of the places you found without really a map or any is just blind blundering in the dark or did you have something we had an atlas so we had a general idea of where we were going we just didn't know exactly (laughs) where we were going Um, but once we hit that's part of the journey right then now we are really in a different land you know this is yeah really in a different land yep digging our base camp into the sand of a sheltered cove we drifted into a totally different type of camping trenching out bunkers to, to duck down from the shotgun pellets of driving sand from the ocean side and pegging down the edges of the tent with rocks instead of tent stakes so it wouldn't turn into a sailboat and set off on its own. If one doesn't mind gourmet sand grains and their canned spaghetti and wind-hardened bread that tastes like salt water, then this is absolutely positively the life for you. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever camped on a beach, but it's just like that. You know, Now you're on an ocean beach and there's sand and everything. I have on the California side, so, but we, yeah, I mean, it was more in an RV of my brother-in-law's, but yeah, so not quite tent-based, but I can imagine just sand. We had, it was bad enough with what we had that sand was everywhere, but yeah. (laughs) But now now it's a little bit more temperate, you know, you're by the ocean. It was just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. The plates you can see in every everywhere you look. You know, there's wild horses out there. There's yeah, I thought that was crazy. Is that yes? It's just incredible. And in Delaware, you know, as populated as that part of the country is, that that, that stuff can still exist and things like that. So and I don't know if it's the same still nowadays. Today, yeah. you know, this is what thirty some years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But back then, it was yeah. <laughs> some crab traps and try to catch some crabs which didn't work out so well but you tried all right yeah, so, yeah we tried yep uh let's see where was i gonna go i was just actually gonna read that he finally s- snared one crab the size of a half dollar and played a rousing game of paper scissors rock to see you'd get to boil it and eat it but the damn thing scurried back into the water while we were fighting it out i guess the moral of our crab fishing adventure is that if paper did cover rock, roasted squid on a stick was looking to be the prominent winner in the night's dinner menu. 
until you get lucky and a family with a distinct New York accent was pitching camp next to us when we returned from the great cab hunt. They drove a monster four-wheel drive wagon and their crisp 10-person bungalow tent looked to be far cleaner and more hospitable than my old college apartment. They were setting up a table complete with tablecloth, candles, and a chilled bottle of wine. The ocean night was, was in waist deep and the smell of linguine and clams bubbling over a shining cook stove, which had to be completely surreal for everything you guys have been going through. <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. Yes, they had everything. They had everything. <laughs> it, it didn't even look like camping. It looked like they, you know, wow, it was crazy. Yeah, it was like kind of your Grey Poupon moment. Beg pardon, certainly don't mean to interrupt your supper, but we see you have managed to procure some firewood. <laughs> we had some... snuck into a, a, on the crab hunt, we, we'd snuck into a vineyard, I guess, and, and just pilfered it, dry, you know, obviously private property. I probably, yeah. know, but it's, it's just wood laying around. We didn't cut yep. down any trees. We piled, mm -hmm. the trunk, piled the trunk full of wood. Mm-hmm. And yep. they wanted some. <laughs> well, we won't have a statute. I'm sure there's a statute of limitations. So, but. yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the worst thing that I am going to get pegged for. I, I'm in good shape. <laughs> That's why you had a great picture of the the Atlantic evening rose in Grand Manor. We were still rubbing our full bellies and toasting the stars with our wine glasses when a huddle of surf fishermen with heads bowed into the breeze walked by our camp and down to the crashing wave to set up heavy casting rods for striper and sea bass. Our poor squid was beginning to look like he wouldn't survive to see the morning, so we cut up what was left of him, grabbed our own fishing gear, and rolled into the surf to try our luck. How on earth one of us wasn't killed outright from the devilry that subsequently transpired amounts to somewhat of a miracle. Our rods and reels were fine and dandy for pulling in trout and sunfish on the lakes and streams back home, but we quickly discovered that an incoming tide coupled with three-foot swells of Atlantic surf made even the heaviest Wisconsin whitewater look like a lazy river. It was hard enough simply casting light regs in the swirling ocean breeze, not to mention the fact that our squid was chronically washed back onto the beach in a matter of seconds. So what did you do? You carried your line out far enough for it to be past the breakers? <laughs> well, I ended up having to swim it out. Again, another game of But Dan cheated? I, to this day, I say he cheated. <laughs> so now you're, you don't know if there's sharks out there. I, I don't know if there were or weren't, but now yep. you're swimming out the lines 50 yards into the ocean in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. And who knows, you know, undertoes or anything like that, or, you know, where's oh, the drop oh. off or whatever. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, get tangled up, but. Uh, so you had to go 50 yards out in the, out into the water as the crow flies, but in pitch black ocean water, which may or may not have held sharks, which may or may not have been hungry for squid or dumb Wisconsin swimmers, 50 yards of breaststroking in the general direction of the English channel while holding sharpened hooks and leaden life preservers is an endless voyage <laughs> but somehow you had mermaids looking out for you that night because you didn't drown so no we didn't drown and uh, we never did catch a fish but <laughs> that was an experience that was an experience so you made at that point you did you flip another coin to head south or was that just because it was getting deeper into fall well we were gonna we wanted to go into florida um yep my my grandfather and grandmother were still alive at the time and we knew that we were going to maybe stop and see them for at least a day which we did um that was the highlight of the trip because now we got 
Showers, wine and dined and showered. <laughs> yes. I don't think I put that in my, in, in the book, but um, you knew you were going to head to Florida. You put the one night you guys had to double down for a motel room. I think you put in there because all your gear was wet. Out of the Appalachians. Everything was wet and it was just kind of a mess. Yep. Yep. Now your false cape journey, your false cape journey. And I looked this up too is, was interesting as well of, you know, we should have guessed what we were in for when the nervous overseers made us take an orienteering course and sign a waiver at the state park office. They did, yep. <laughs> did they ask you, do you know how to use a compass? Do you know which direction, you know, you're going and things like they that? They wanted to make sure that you weren't, you knew what you were kind of getting into, you know. Mostly they yeah. wanted a waiver, I think, you know, saying if something happens to you out there, it's your fault, not ours. Yeah. Um, because it's, no vehicles allowed. You're hiking in. It was a ways. It was 10, yeah. 10 12 miles way back onto this cape. Um, mm-hmm. No fire. Again, no GPS, no cell phones, no nothing. No, no nothing. You know. um, I don't even know if we had a park map. They just said, okay, this is the way to go. <laughs> Little gate and you're off to the races. Yeah. So fear, false cape. It's, uh, there's a lot of shipwreck survivors that uh, had lived there, tried to make a city out of, or tried to make a town out of it um, and survive there uh, without luck. Um, we were told there were ancient grave markers hidden in the sand to mark their passing. We were warned to listen closely. Shipwreck spirits from long ago were still heard singing upon the furthest reaches. So it's one of those that's uh, kind of a, an easy place to shipwreck because of the proximity to Chesapeake Bay, I, I yeah. believe, right? Yes, yes. And now, now it's nearing Halloween, so they made sure to tell the it ghost could be hurricane story. season. <laughs> tell the ghost stories before you go out there, and and I, yep. and I am not kidding. You could feel it when you're out there. You could feel <laughs> there's there's certain places in this world where you know that you are in a paranormal area, and this was one of them. This yep. was one of them. And I remember Dan having a, a good imagination also for that kind of stuff. Like he was, you know, that he would, you know, that, I mean, I, I guess it goes to both you guys for, you know, that you both had a good imagination for that stuff. And I think I do too, to, you know, what am I hearing, you know, kind of a thing. There is a difference between imagination and what we saw. <laughs> and what we, You had to be there to understand it, yeah. but you're miles from anybody, nothing but the ocean stars over you. There's no fires allowed. You don't see any lights. I mean, wow. and it's, it was eerie. It was eerie. Mm-hmm. You just knew that there was a pres- there was presences out here. Sure. I mean, nice. Yeah. I seriously believe. I seriously believe in it. But you know, mm-hmm. I guess we we experienced what we experienced. Yep. Yep. So you spent the morning diving into the swells, lying on your backs, watching the salt dry on our skin, and the ocean waves crashing against uh, against the endless horizon. Walked in the shallows. You know, this was after you had navigated your way. Uh, to the, you know, kind of the, across the, the, uh, I guess it's an island, kind of a north-south island, yeah. um, made your way to the ocean. Yeah, you know, you could only have the water that you were carrying with you, so they were holding steady, but the salt air sipped from them constantly. Uh, I think you had a meal of sausage or something that <laughs> doesn't, doesn't really help your water consumption either. Back to <laughs> but whatever water you brought with you, that's what you were drinking because there was no water out there. Yep, yep. Now, if you still had the, uh, you made shellfish necklaces. If you still had those, I'd be, you know, that would be awesome. You know, 
they were awesome, but where where they went, I don't know. I, I don't have it here. Um, yep. It must have yep. tucked away in a box somewhere. Um, but these necklaces were just things of atrocious beauty. I mean, they were gaudy. Yeah. They were huge. <laughs> um, we had, yeah. Yep. So then on one of the nights, you had a great picture in here. The sun sank and the moon rose full. For a single moment in time, both celestial orbs hung in perfect balance across from one another over ocean and land. We sat on a high peak of sand and watched dolphins leap in the glow. We didn't talk. We were lost in our own thoughts. Moonrise over the ocean with nothing but dolphins and flowing dune grass for company. Nobody for miles, not even the lights of a ship on the water, only glistening fins and moon diamonds on the waves. It's a scene that I know I will carry with me like a lantern in the darkness. And no matter how hard the world tries to beat me down, the only key I'll ever need to escape is hidden through the doorway of this memory. That was awesome. Yep, and that's that, that's one of the things we learned on, on that trip, that there are things... You know, life is gonna life is gonna come, but you're gonna hold some of these things against mm -hmm. bad parts of life to come, and, sure. and that was one of those moments. It was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Then you did manage to we ate the last of our crackers and saved some crumbled granola for later. Set off following a tiny path into the overgrown jungle. The brush tunnels were low enough to pull at our hair with their claws of thorns. Birds skittered in the tangles, scolding and swooping. Maybe they were hunting crabs. Maybe something bigger was hunting them. Crawling low through the sandy understory, we broke into a clearing and we finally ran headlong into the shipwrecked spirits of False Cape. The makeshift cemetery was set on the highest point of land where live oaks grew tall and dune grass built a natural fence. It was a hidden garden. Gray markers were nailed from worn cypress wood and leaned at every angle. If they once had names, the wind and sand had long since carried them away. It was a haunted night sight, but not necessarily a haunted feeling. It was the source of the ghostly voices on the sea wind. The ancient cemetery was the heartbeat of False Cape. We held our breath, waiting, but no ghostly pirates issued forth from the sandy ground to chase us through the grove with rusted sabers. Sunlight dappled through the jungle of trees, and all was still. You're just waiting for Johnny Depp to jump out at you. And... Exactly. <laughs> um, we did find it, and once you were there, you you knew that it's not a this is not a scary place. Um, this mm -hmm. is it's a place of peace, and mm -hmm. cemetery was one of those. You know what I mean? You've seen some of them with the old tombstones, but these yep. had like wood. The wood they are all it was all made of wood. It was yeah, all made of wood. Yep. So you wrote some letters the next day, kind of took some time to each other, wrote some letters to your mom and dad, uh, assuring them that the golden boy, Danny with his blonde hair, would be returned yep. to his studies when we returned and would undoubtedly make enough money after he graduated to take care of us all. The final letters were as strange as my surroundings, addressed to friends back at college, explaining why I left so suddenly with my degree unfinished. Also wrote a note to my college girlfriend who's likely on the trail behind me forever and has a brighter future ahead of her because of it. Which indeed happened, I think. <laughs> I don't even know what ever became of her, but yep. Oh, yeah. because of it. <laughs> told them not to worry everything was great i'd taken their hearts with me on the journey told them life on the road was just like school except for the exams and i tried to relate the analogy of a ship wrecking on reefs how it becomes sink or swim survival to reach a safe port in the aftermath i sat in a sun dappled glade on an ocean cape and tried to convince them that i'd been led astray by a mermaid's song 
but then you decided not to mail those last final letters. So into a bottle they went, uh, a yep. water bottle, and out into the ocean. <laughs> They're still floating to this day, probably. Yep. So did you feel how how far along your journey? This was about a month or so in. Yeah. To the journey. Was, yeah, a good month. Yeah. Yep. Good month and month and a half maybe. But where were you at as far as? you know, wanting to, were you ready to go home yet? Or you still had more, you knew you had more, more journey and go. I think it was, we had more journey to go, but this is a turning point where I started. It wasn't everybody else's fault. Uh, it wasn't school that made me go and people yeah. were this way and that way. Eventually you're taking responsibility for what you've done, you know? Yeah. And I yeah. think this was one of those moments that I, the only one that, forced me to go on this road of dreams, if you could say force, was me, you know? I, mm -hmm. I've got to take responsibility for my actions and, and this is where I came, started to come to grips for, with that, I, I, I guess you'd say. Um, do, you th do you think it was partly that, you know, you, do you feel like college shouldn't have been a choice from the start, but you kind of got pressured into it or that you felt like you should go to college or that you had to? You know, it probably back then, it probably was expected that you're going to go to college. Yeah. You're going to go to college and, and I'm glad I did. Mm -hmm. um, but it definitely, the academia environment was probably not for me eventually. It, it mm -hmm. definitely wasn't. Um, not any fault. Again, it's not the academic, it was not the, the class's fault. It was not the professor's fault. It, it just wasn't a fit where I was comfortable learning in. Sure. Uh, and then, but you kind of had to go through that to, you know, experience it firsthand yeah. before you really knew. Eventually yeah. you have to come to the, to grips with it isn't everybody else doing it. It's, this has been my choice from the get go. Um, mm -hmm. And once you start to come to grips with that, uh, everything starts to get a little bit easier. You know, you mm -hmm. learn the way you learn and it, that's true for everybody. Some people mm -hmm. learn spatially, verbally. Um, mm -hmm. Once you find your niche, the way you want to learn or the way you can learn, you, you can learn and grow is at your own pace or in the way that suits you. Um, mm -hmm. But eventually you have to quit pointing your finger at somebody else saying they did this, they did this, they did this. And you, yeah. you come to the take responsibility for your own actions and, and things become easier then. Okay. Yeah. We'll build on that in just a second here, but you know, I wanted to finish off this road of dreams piece quick. You've got a lot of like small excerpts from the Everglades and from New Orleans and Florida and things like that. And yep. uh, <laughs> I love the one of your time with uh, the dismal swamp and oh, where's the guy? your evangelical preacher guy that you ran into and I can't find the section right at this, at this time, but, um, uh, uh, but you made it out of, you made it out of false Cape. You made it down to Florida. Um, eventually made it to the keys. Must've found your grandparents in there somewhere. So. Yep. And, and the keys was another ultimate moment. Now you spend a week, week and a half, two weeks in the Florida keys, which is the height of everything yeah. you, come to understand about the keys um and here you're two kids from wisconsin i think actually we came out of miami the first time we got into the keys 
one of our headlights was out. And I don't think I wrote that in there. We got no. promptly pulled over. Now we're two kids. My hair is long. I don't think we had shirts on. <laughs> I'm up. He took me up. I'm up against the car. He's thinking that we're running drugs or something. We've got Wisconsin <laughs> plates. And, and I'm like, what, what, this is the Florida Keys. What? No, he said, this is a bad place. This is a bad place. You've got to get off the street. There's gangs that come out of Miami. We don't know. Then you got another call at something. Uh, RV got broken into. So he said, just get off the street. And yeah, we did. <laughs> fixed our headlight. Um, but once you got farther into the keys, everything is nice. Yeah, because you got tents, tent now staked along the bleach sands of the Florida Keys, two steps out of our sleeping bags, and we were taking morning baths in tropical reef protected waters. Snorkeling beneath the drop off ledges felt like diving into an aquarium, bright rainbows of fish flashing water so clear that we could see 50 yards in every direction. That just had to be awesome. Oh, it was. Yes, it was. Um, so cool. How much of a f switch from False Cape, mood-wise, was it? Now there's people around. Um, now you're not way remotely yeah. situated. So it was different. And there's people coming and going in these camps then. Um, sure. So it's a little bit different. I mean, you're meeting a lot more people. Say, oh, mm -hmm. try snorkeling over here. Try going over there. Um, there's lobster traps out there if you want to try to raid them, uh, which we never yeah. did. But <laughs> Yeah. So, um, and it probably, I mean, you definitely weren't as desolate or anything like that. And the key is, I mean, you, you know, you could find a grocery store if you needed something to drink or something like that. So Yeah. Not, now you're meeting... You, you know, you've heard stories about the keys, but now you are meeting some real characters, some yeah. real characters. Um, <laughs> Army, oh, there it is. The army jacketed man who slept in a van that was gaudily painted up in peace signs, flowers, and rainbows. Swathed beneath the mangroves, orating his religious theories and ideology, which packed into a coconut shell centered on his belief that he was the seventh son of Moses and currently on the run to avoid assassination. <laughs> And again, this is, it sounds like you could make this up and it's fiction, but yeah. this, this happened. Um, and to this day, I still have the journals where he actually wrote his little beliefs on it. Um, it's nice. everywhere. Yeah. But, you know, you didn't laugh at him. You didn't, you know, make fun of him. And I think any of us as kids might have done that, but you brought him into your camp and had a can of old Milwaukee with him. So... <laughs> No, I, I think I wrote, um, you know, there, there was a time when Dan and I both would have yeah. ridiculed somebody like this, but now we we were no longer qualified to judge a book by a cover because we had turned into the same people that we would have passed across the street to avoid, you know, months earlier. Um, yeah. Again, it's it's a learning, something that you can only experience in order to learn. Um, mm -hmm. People once you get to know them are, are just people, no matter what their appearances may be um, or their beliefs. And they get, yeah, they were a little off maybe, but we had yeah. an awesome night with the guy. Yeah. Awesome. Then you went from there over to New Orleans and that was kind of the start of the end of your trip and uh, decided it was time to head back home from there. Yeah. We'd run out of money. We had no more money. And uh <laughs> from there, it was a great shot from New Orleans back to Milwaukee. Um, yeah. We basically made it on fumes, but there we, we made it. Yep. Yep. So the four sections of the book, chapter one is all your barren short stories yep. and Northwestern Wisconsin. Chapter two is Brule Country Stories, and I haven't even touched any of those, but 
Um, why don't you talk a little bit about what Brule means to you guys as a as a family and to you and yeah that was it's a place near and dear near and dear to my heart because my grandparents were there since we were little since we were little kids uh, you know we could just run wild in the woods and the rivers um now we've got a cabin up there which is my mom lives up there full time um yep. i guess i call it the cabin it's nicer than my house i would think you know exploring <laughs> um but i know so many people up there you know from being little to growing big um know the area um especially for the trout fishing and just wandering where you could go in the woods and you could find an adventure whatever way you want to go i mean you're just walking walking as far as you can um you know the the white pines the and as much wilderness as you guys found around barren you know, which is a pretty agricultural area to be, by and large, yes. you know, northern Wisconsin is much more, you know, wild country. This is wild country where if you, you find some roads or trails, <laughs> you break down, you're taking your own chances, you're spending the night and, yeah. and it has happened. Um, just mm -hmm. fantastic. Um, from picking blueberries way out in remote spots to fishing, walking out in pitch black with bears around you after fishing all day. Um, yeah, where a partridge might jump at your feet and just scare the heck out of you. Um, <laughs> just the scenery and the people, and it's a special it's one of those special places where you keep on returning. Yeah, maybe if I lived up there full time, it would be different. The winters mm -hmm. are a little bit harsh. Yeah, uh, you're walking in snow up to your waist. So <laughs> they've already had you know 14, 15 inches of snow early on. Some of it's mm -hmm. melted by now, but um, mm -hmm. it's a different world, is what it is. Um, mm -hmm. Where I live in Grafton and southeastern Wisconsin, it could still Settled. be <laughs> could still be early fall, and up there it's already winter. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. So chapter three was the road of dreams that we just kind of covered. Uh, chapter four is is more home. Home is where the heart is. You've got it titled, which is around the Grafton area and just some of your travels around there. Can you just talk about what where you went? after the road of dreams you know you obviously got married at some point yes i got um, married at some point and uh you know now i've got to get a full-time job you know to support kids <laughs> to come and um so you're still writing but not i would say for 10 15 years not to the extent that you're writing before um sure you know i'd still sell an article here and there well, you said, uh, just to take one step back, though, you said you took a, you had told me that you took a, you kind of did go back to college a little bit, right, to kind of get some journalism stuff figured out. I did go to UW-Milwaukee and studied under some professor, under some professors that were actually writers for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Um, and there I really That's learned awesome. journalistic yeah. writing style. Um, Mm -hmm. learn the things where you, you thought you knew but now you don't know you know you learn how to write under pressure um, mm -hmm. learn how to bang smash out a story <laughs> um, which is not again could I, could I have gone to work for a newspaper maybe but the journalistic writing style just like maybe school wasn't exactly for me you know it's plug and play the who what why when we're interviewing yeah. people 
for maybe tragedies? Um, how do you feel after your house burnt down? Well, how do you think, no how do you think you'd feel? You know, you're, it's awful. That yeah. really wasn't for me, but the outdoor journalistic for the outdoor periodicals I write for, I'm able to have a little bit more leeway, uh, a little mm -hmm. bit more human interest angles. Um, not so much who, what, when, where, why, but maybe just the why, you know, why go here? Why, why go yeah. there? Some travelogue pieces. Um, that's how like it's much more in your sweet spot to do those kinds of that yeah. kind of writing. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of people, even in the, in the journalistic arena that, you know, the deer hunting, turkey hunting, the how to, um, there's people that I'll never even approach. Uh, they know so much, um, where I, my niche is more the adventure writing, you know, I can mm -hmm. go as far as I can go and <laughs> see what happens. Um, or yeah. somebody that is very good. Nobody wants to know how good I am chasing a deer, but somebody that's super good at it, they want to, they want to know about that person. So now I can write about that person. Um, you do have a good story in the book about chasing down a deer through hip deep snow drifts in the middle of your first deer yeah, hunting season. <laughs> that was still in barren. Yep. And that, <laughs> oh, that did happen. Not the smartest thing that's ever done, but um, it happened. So um, mm. yeah. So th that's what I enjoy doing now. Um, yeah. Where do you think you're going to take things from here? I mean, the, the book just came, Writing Wild just came out. So in this COVID type. It's pushing <laughs> it around here and there. Uh, I still write, you know, stories for a few papers um, when mm. I get time. Uh, I've, I've got a, a total fictional account uh, building a whole world. And I wasn't, I've had it in progress. You know, I call it ghost child. Uh, it's, well, you know, as, as being a writer, how you create a world, you know, mm -hmm. a fictional world. And that's, I've had that in various stages for five, six, seven years. And I just wasn't ready to keep on tackling it. Um, mm -hmm. So now maybe ghost child finally gets written. Um, well, that's part of my journey. You mentioned that I know as a writer. Well, I'm, I had stuff percolating in my head for years, but never did anything about it. And yeah. so that's part of my journey lately is within the last, I've only started writing within the last year. So at least any of this, you know, fiction, fiction, science fiction, fantasy type books. So that's been part of me. My breakout is actually taking the step to put words down on paper. So. Yes. Um, it, it's, and I've read some of what you've written, and I, I find it fascinatingly good. You oh, thank you. It fascinatingly, fascinatingly good. But, but you know how it is. Sometimes there's only so much time in the day. Yeah. So I wake up early, maybe go for a run, and I'll, I'll pound out <laughs> however much I pound out until I, I can feel my creativity ebbing, and then I'll mm -hmm. stop. What what time of day do you usually write? It sounds like in the mornings. Yes, always. I'm always been a morning person. Uh, yeah. I have to write in the morning. I might edit later in the afternoon or or night, but if okay. I, whenever I'm getting down new, it's got to be in the morning. And that's just that's just me. A lot mm -hmm. of people are different, you know, when when it when it comes. But for me, the morning, I I have to get the new stuff down in the morning. Sure. Um, but hopefully, Ghost Child, you know it's still a work in progress. Um, it's, you know, it's probably 50, 60,000 words. That's, okay. 
awesome. and constantly evolving and changing and um, is that the first book of a planned trilogy type thing or is that i don't know if it'll be a trilogy or a standalone it depends okay. how long how long it comes and <laughs> you find a publisher you see how it, how it goes sure. the important thing is if you enjoy doing it yeah and, and i enjoy building this world and mm -hmm. And that's where I need to spend my time on now is, is putting the short story together. Uh, so I've got a short story that I've written that's about 10,000 words. Um, but to do a short story, you don't necessarily have to do a ton of world building to right. flesh it out. But I want it to be a trilogy by the time I get done. And so I've got, that's where I've got to spend my time next is, you know, what is this? what is, you know, Delphinia, the world that I've put together, what does it really look like? And, you know, build my story arcs and things like that. You that's know, the and, fun part. That, yeah. That's the fun part. You're, you're building something that exists in your mind and you want to share it with somebody. Yep. yep. Uh, and, and I've read parts of it and that's exactly what you are doing, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yep. But starting with short stories, a, a lot of famous writers, that's what they do. You mm -hmm. tackle what you can tackle at the time. And I definitely wasn't ready for Ghost Child. <laughs> um, I still may not be ready for it. Um, yeah. But with Taconite Creek, that's my first work of fiction. But again, it was based on the brutal area where I grew up. So, okay. and, you know, with characters I've met, um, it was a fictionalized easy. version. Is it, yeah. uh, can you describe it a little bit for people? So, uh, it, Taconite Creek is based in, in about the Depression area when uh, there was a lot of mining going on in northwestern Wisconsin. Um, mm -hmm. So, a, a, a curmudgeonly old uncle of a kid was a miner, and he he's he struck it rich w with iron, um, mm -hmm. where he can manufacture this iron and sell it um it's also a coming of age book where he's got a a smaller kid who who's lost his father and kind of lost his way so one summer the uncle takes him up there because he's going to use him he's going to put him to work and uh, mm -hmm. he learns a little bit about life uh, there's a lot of trout fishing in it um a lot of things from my growing up that was very easy for me to write i'm yeah. definitely glad to tackle that first um, yeah than totally going this way with building a whole world. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. And then the short story, story, you know, you, you start small and you work your way up. Yeah, yep. So speaking of trout fishing, it sounded from some of the stories in there that you and your dad had a some sometimes heated rivalry in the fishing waters. My dad, to to the day that. Our last soul. together yeah. um, could outfish me every day of the week, and I don't know how he would do it, but he would. He, he could pipe he could stuck in his me. mouth. Yep. Kind of, yep, he could outfish me, and uh, I'd always try to keep up with them, and be, I'd catch a, a big fish, and he'd always catch a bigger one. I don't know how he'd do it. But, uh, <laughs> he loved trout fishing, and he instilled the love of trout fishing in me. You know, he took me when I was a little kid, and. Uh, yeah. I, I grew to love it. Um, my brother never really got into fishing. Dan never did. Uh, he lives in Boulder, Colorado now. Uh, he's into climbing mountains and backcountry camps. Oh, <laughs> um, how many 14,000 foot peaks they can go, but he really goes, you know, you got Colorado yeah. um, and it's, 
Wow. He's pretty good at it. If I needed to go up on a 14,000 foot peak, I think I'd have to take him with me as my guide because uh, it's nothing to fool around with unless you know what you're doing. No, exactly. Yeah. It can get pretty crazy out there pretty quick. So he'll, he'll start at two, three in the morning with headlamps and just to hit the summit before the weather turns and he can get back down. So, yeah. <laughs> so you don't feel that calling for you uh, to, as something you need to do. So. Well, I, I like the mountains, I guess, but uh, I also love Wisconsin. I, you know, yeah. I, I firmly believe I will never leave Wisconsin um, mm-hmm. just because I, I've grown to love it. I love the seasons. Um, I even love the winter, I guess. Um, <laughs> but there's so much to do just living in Wisconsin for myself that it, it's so diverse. You know, mm-hmm. it's a whole it's a microcosm of the whole world for me here. Um, there's yeah. always something new. Um, mm-hmm. but I've been out to Colorado several times. Uh, yeah. I went with him on some little explorations. Um, but yes, it's, that's what he likes to do and he's good at it. So what's next for John? I mean, you got a, you got one kid in college, I think, right? And yep. um, how old's your son? My son, he'll be 21 in January. Oh, so, so he's, okay, he's older. Okay. Out of jail, I guess. No. <laughs> if he's jail. anything like his father, yeah. He, he does a lot of photography. Um, he's very good at that. Um, okay. He works a little bit here and there at, at some odd jobs. Right now, college was not, was not for him, which, sure. you know, looking at at it from a parent, me having to go and, go and gone through it, I know that. Mm-hmm. he's very successful um he's got a he's got a an ebay business that makes sure. i make at work sometimes look like chicken feed because he, he's grown up in a different environment and he knows mm-hmm. like i say even to set this up i need one of my kids to to set a zoom up because <laughs> he, he's very happy and very successful also um College just wasn't for him, which I can sure. totally relate for because it probably wasn't for me either, you know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you any more or less of anything. It's just, it is how it is for somebody. Mm-hmm. So where do you see yourself in the next five years, kind of keeping on, keeping on, growing and building the same? In, in the next five years, uh, who knows? The way I look at it, life is like you were born in a range of mountains. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you say, maybe I'm going to try this mountain. Um, maybe you can't make it up, but you find a nice place where you're going to sit and enjoy the view and, and yeah. hang out there for a while. Um, then eventually you'll move on and I'm going to climb, keep on climbing this peak. I'll, I'll climb that peak. Um, there's, always, there's always new challenges that are out there, you may not exactly know where you're going to be. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Hopefully with this writing wild, uh, it's got, it's got the potential to be a a very good book. Um, In the marketplace, uh, will it ever make me rich? No, but I don't know what I'd do with a lot of money. I would just probably. (laughs) (laughs) Denise probably knows what she would do with it. Denise probably does. Yes. But um, I'm pretty comfortable with where I'm at, knowing that, oh, I've got what I want. I'm never going to be rich, and I don't know that I'd want to be rich. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll keep on writing, keep on writing, and we'll see where it goes from there, you know? Sure. But I'll try not to get too wrapped up in worrying about it. 
Uh, if I don't worry about it, things will happen as long as, yeah, I have to put the work in. Um, mm -hmm. But if I obsess over it, number one, it's not going to be any fun if I do it because I've obsessed about it too much. Sure. Um, but if it happens, you, you don't want to say carpe, carpe diem, you know, seize the day, live in the moment. Because <laughs> I have, you know, you got commitments. I have, so. I have kids, I have commitments, I have mortgage yeah. payment I have to keep on making unless I want to sleep <laughs> on the street. Um, mm -hmm. But in a way, I tried to never grow so old that I'm still not <laughs> part of the kid in me, you know? And that yeah. seems to be what I found works for me. Um, yep. It may not be for everybody, but for yep. me, it works fine. And I think that's a big switch for me too, is going down this road. We're going down to traveling is, is we're taking away everything. You know, it sounds crazy to sell, you know, we sold our house. We've yes. been renting. We're getting ready to go on the road. And it sounds absolutely crazy to just ditch all of that and take three kids on the road and for a couple of years and, see what we can see, but to us, it makes perfect sense because I don't want to wait. Um, I'm remarried, so I've, you know, I'm 50 years old, but I've got a one-year-old son. So yes. I don't want to wait till I'm 70 to not have kids when, you know, there's no guarantees that, that I'll be in any condition to do the kind of things we can do today. So that's the way I like to look at it too. I mean, you know, the only thing that you are given is on any given day is you have your health or how you feel. So you mm -hmm. might as well take advantage of it. That's what yeah. I really believe. Um, take advantage yeah. of it. Tomorrow isn't promised for any of us. No. So all you know is what you have today. And I'm jealous. I am jealous of you. <laughs> In fact, I may try to stow away if there's any room. Taking all those kids, I don't know there will be. You can sleep on the floor with them. So if you find me, then you're going to need a babysitter. You're going to think I'm a babysitter. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> um, but that, to me, that is, your kids will get an education that they can't get anywhere else by doing that. Yeah. Um, they'll yeah. see things. Um, they may grow up to hate traveling, but <laughs> who knows? Yeah. We're going to have an experience that few people can have. Um, mm -hmm which I, the road of dreams for me was that awesome. I've learned, I learned a lot of things that you can only learn by getting out there. Well, um, I'm happy that you did it. You know, it was almost 30 years ago now that you guys did that. I mean, to be able to do that back then rather than waiting, you know, waiting all this time to, cause I think in some cases I may have been, I don't know if I was, I, I don't want to say I was scared, but I, I don't know that I could have, had the balls to just step away like that from, from life for that long. So but you were, you, you obviously took a different path to success and it worked out yeah. for you. You know what yeah. I mean? And um, everybody's path is different, right? There, I mean, no cookie yeah. cutter. There is no cookie cutter, <laughs> whatever you call it, that yeah. you have to do this. Um, looking back on it, maybe college really wasn't for me. I learned a lot. Um, not mm. exactly in the way you're supposed to learn, I guess, or uh, the historic pattern. <laughs> but, um, but if you yeah. hadn't have done it, then you may never have ended up on the, on the road, you know? Yes. It was a stepping stone and I learned as I went. Um, mm. Going to make, did I make mistakes? Well, I make a ton of mistakes. I still make a ton of mistakes, but yeah. um, that's the only way you can grow. Let me ask uh, your wife. Yeah. I don't even <laughs> She'll tell you. She'll tell you I haven't grown from my mistakes, and I still make them. But, um, 
but I only try to make them like three times before I actually learn something from them. It sounds cliche, but you that's the only way you can learn, you know, you have to get out of your comfort zone, which you're mm-hmm. going to be doing. You're going to be taking this on the road and yeah. I'm jealous. I'm yeah. jealous. Um, it's going to be, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn mm-hmm. more than you think there is to learn. Um, mm-hmm. You're a smart we're, guy. We're not going to go as rustic camping as you guys did. We're going to have, you know, like a 40 foot fifth wheel. So <laughs> but, kids with you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can't throw them in a tent every night of the week or something. I, oh. I could, but yeah. No, that's going to be, like I said, I'm jealous and yeah. I might stow away. I'll, I'll know where you're going to rip the bugs out in Barron. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that'll be our first stop is, is a month up there. You know, I've got older parents, so, you know, they're worried enough about us taking kids on the road that need to spend some time up there and that kind of thing. So, but so yeah, Before stay tuned. Go, I'm going to, I'm going to for sure be up there to see you off. <laughs> Sounds good. That, up, yeah. um, that, that is going to be really neat. Yep. It's going to be a once in a, once in a lifetime thing. And if you can do it right now, especially with the working virtually or, you know, yeah. uh, if anything good has come out of the <clears throat> last year, it's, you know, that for working virtually, you'll be able to do it. Yeah, definitely. And the connectivity options these days are, you know, uh, much better than any time, any time in the past as well. So still got some work to do on that area and, and we'll see where it goes. But yeah. So just to wrap it up, you know, if you want to find a copy of Writing Wild, um, you can go find that on cablepublishing.com, uh, Amazon as well uh, for the Kindle version, I think. Right. Yep. And yep. then out there, you'll be able to find it if you search a little bit. Yeah, and then Tacani Creek as well can be you can find that out there. What publications have you been printed in that people might be able to find? I write quite a bit for uh, on Wisconsin Outdoors, which is uh, a newspaper distributed through Quick Trip in Wisconsin. Um, okay. it's, it, it's it's a totally ab- advertiser driven paper, so it's free. Um, mm-hmm. So I do quite a bit of work for them. And I also do work for a, a magazine called Badger Sportsman that's published out of the Fox Valley. Um, that is a subscription based. I think it's $19 for six, six copies. It goes by monthly. Um, I do quite a Great. bit of work for them also. Um, Great. And those are the main publications I'm working for right now, besides my books. Um, yeah, I did a little bit of freelance writing for some newspapers before everything shrunk so much that uh, <laughs> you know, the written word isn't what it used to be. But um, a lot of it goes online. I, I do write online quite a bit for some websites, the On Wisconsin Outdoors website. Um, okay. That seems to be the way everything's going. Um, but I, I enjoy it. I just write for writing's sake sometimes too, you know. Mm-hmm. Do it. Sure. Any last words of wisdom? Um, <laughs> kind of put you on the spot. Will and take your family on the road. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, no, all I can say is everybody makes mistakes. Yep. But nobody's the, nobody's the same. There is, I mean, I know that's the kind of the title of your podcast is growing to greatness, but there is no yep. one approach for anybody. Um, Absolutely. All you got to do is keep your nose to the grindstone and uh, you can get wherever you want to get. Mm-hmm. Cool. But I really appreciate you having me on here. I mean, this is kind of neat. Yeah, absolutely.
thank you for coming on too so um this is you know once i got my kids to set this whole thing up i'm, I'm set you know now i look like a professional <laughs> no i want to do some more Maybe yeah podcast <laughs> there you go exactly you know writing wild podcast or something like that there, there you, you go. go and john has left the building or left the zoom call uh hopefully he uh navigated things correctly there so um I'd like to thank John for coming on today. It was great to talk to him. Uh, actually, you can probably tell from the video, if you're looking at the video, uh, I'm recording this at a different time and place. So I'd just like to thank John for being on. And he has was an inspiration to me in high school in terms of his athletic ability, but I think the way that he's kind of lived his dream in terms of, of growing his family and exploring his writing and setting the stage for the two books that he's published. It's been a, a real inspiration for me and just seeing some of the details that he has in his uh, Writing Wild book. And I'll have a link for that in this podcast, but and going into the details of his explorations of this country of ours, uh, you know, on a budget to say the least, <laughs> but just his time with his brother, Dan, uh, just, seeing the thought and the the perspective that he has and just the vivid pictures that John draws, I really highly recommend getting it. And it really, you know, kind of mirrors a little bit of what my wife and I are hoping to do with our journey is just really expose our children to something that the average kid doesn't get to see. And that's just more of this great country and getting into the day-to-day -day life just outside of the normal suburban lifestyle that a lot of people live in. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've got a lot of friends living in that exact environment. And, and it's, it's just, and I've lived there myself for 20 years. It's just, I want to explore something new. My wife and I want to uh, see what else is out there in this world. And this is how we're cho choosing to do it. Maybe we're crazy. Uh, maybe we're off the rails, uh, but we're doing this with, with uh, open eyes. We're going to at least try it. And I don't want to wait till I'm 70 years old and, and, and regret not having done it, I guess is the kind of the way I want to look at it. So uh, we are definitely uh, uh, using people like John as an inspiration for us taking that journey and, and not waiting until tomorrow to do something you could do today. So for a thought of the day, I guess that's what I would like to challenge you with is being able to understand, you know, that you don't have to necessarily you know, plan out every step of the journey. Uh, you can take a shot in the dark sometimes too. But, you know, if you've got an idea that you want to pursue in life, you know, you don't ne necessarily have to uh, wait until your kids are growing or till everything's perfect, till, you're, till you've got all this money saved up. Uh, you know, if you've got something that's, that's uh, burning, uh, burning uh, you know, an idea into your brain or something like that, you can do it today. You can just, maybe you just got to start small. So, you know, take some time to jot some, down some ideas, uh, take some time to explore those things that need to be explored and take a shot. You know, um, if there's anything else you'd like to see for topics, just let me know. I hope you enjoyed this one and uh, look forward to seeing you again next week.